um, we were, you know, last night, you know, anniversaries are often very, um, you know, you think back and you're, you're grateful for the year and you think about the number of years that you spent. And, uh, um, you know, I was thinking back yesterday, I was looking back on our Facebook page for our church and looking at some of the events and it's very nostalgic. There's a lot of things to be grateful for, um, new friends and um, people that have come to know God here and have grown and, and bear fruit in their lives and uh, some, some that have gave, given their life. And I was looking at the pictures and I thought it's kind of nice to look at it together. So there's a few pictures and some of the highlights. This was from our Be Generous week before Christmas. Um, and I remember uh, when we were taking signups and we wanted everyone to go out and do something. Um, all our event pages were packed. We ran out of space for people to serve in. You could turn to the next one too. Um, and so serve the people. I remember that day, I think we had, I don't know, it felt like 100 volunteers there that showed up. And so we were done so early because so many of us showed up. And the next one, uh, some of you went to go with Habitat for Humanity to build that house um, and worked on that. And the neat thing, it was that house was, uh, highlighted in the Orange County Register. And one of the people living there is a, a missionary that had moved back. And so it was kind of a neat story. I drove by it with my wife yesterday. She took pictures, and um, but the house is all done. So that, that, it doesn't look like that. It looks really nice. It looks better than my house and yours. And uh, it's still standing in one piece. And so I was like, you know, uh, if it was tilted, that'd be kind of scary. And uh, after that, we went to San Francisco, and you see this picture here. We fed 4,000 people, um, and uh, we took a mission trip uh, during Christmas. We said, hey, let's miss Christmas. Let's go serve. And you see uh, some, uh, even some of our youth group and young people went, and um, um, I know a couple of them. Okay, so next one. In um, our, our community groups, right? This is just one of the Christmas parties, but we got to meet so many wonderful members, and so many people, when we're making new groups for the fall, have said, we love our group and we want to stay together. And that's such a great sign because it's not like, oh, please move me, you know, and everyone got along. So it was great. Um, this is when we had the movie, the, the Dropbox, and we rented the largest theater at the AMC. It was like our own event. A lot of you were there. I see you in the back. And, um, but it was a great time. We didn't know if everyone was going to show up to that event. And the person in that picture... Um, Steve Morrison, who is an adoptee, who director of MPAC, and he shared with us. And so that was fantastic because we ran out of tickets that day. Um, and I was a little nervous that because we had to pre-buy all the seats and it, it, um, it was fantastic. And the next one's our big Easter. Uh, many of you were there and the baptisms and all the wonderful things. And uh, really one thing I am proud of, and we had so many pictures, but I just put one up, is all our 6-8 initiative outings, the soup kitchen and the next picture shows that one of the many. Um, and so many of you have gone out on Saturday early to serve the people or Sunday afternoons and done picnics for the kids at Olive Crest. And you've um, invested in them. And it's now been regular. And that was our goal. Not to do a, a one-time event, but it's been years now. And they expect it. And we partner. And uh, things to be proud of. And highlight of the year, um, our VBS. This is a picture of our volunteers there at Brea. We had a, a wonderful time. Uh, this is, uh, you know, very important. The next one is of our VBS uh, at Brea uh, at Irvine as well. And it was a, a crazy week. But these kids just singing praises and um, hearing the gospel about Christ. And then these kids, that, these cute kids here, you know, in a matter of years, they grow up. And this is what they look like. Um, they become the youth group. 
And they're big and kind of scary and they smell, but we love them. Jesus loves the youth group too, you know, and uh, no, but this is a, a fantastic time because a lot of these, this age guys, the next generation, they hear the gospel and they respond. And, uh, you know, studies have shown people come to faith at that age and it lasts a lifetime. So their whole life trajectory gets changed at these retreats. It's not just fun and games and, and you come back, but it's their lives change completely. And some that might have gone down the wrong road, these times and the teachers who are there and John and the staff that uh, take care, you know, it just changes it. Um, and they, they learn to have a relationship with God. And so we're just grateful for that. Canton, Mississippi, with Innis Steps, we run this annual basketball slash math camp. I, we're better at the math than the basketball, but we do both. And uh, this is fantastic because this is, uh, one of the poorest counties in all of America. Um, and certain years, there, Canton is the poorest. And we go there, and it feels like a different country when you go. And we now do an annual basketball camp that these young people look forward to each year. And they, they wear their shirts every year all over the place, and you could tell how long, uh, how many years they've been coming. And uh, uh, another trip that we did, the last one here, is uh, to Japan. And it's... Um, the a very clean modern city but yet the most uh, unchurched country in the world and so most Jap uh, native japanese will say well you know christianity jesus that's like an american thing and they don't buy into that and for us to go after the tsunami into the local churches near that area partner with them and run this camp um, and see baptisms happen and um, pictures from a few years ago it's only maybe half the amount of kids and now it's packed and um, we're talking to them about going back again. And uh, these are things that we are just grateful for after eight years. All right? And I was really uh, thinking about this last night and uh, just grateful. And yet at the same time, just challenged because this upcoming year is going to be great. It's going to be another year. And the scripture that we read today, two short verses. Um, verse 11 gives us this idea of, attempting something great for God. Let's attempt something great for God. Let's do something great for God. And verse 12 tells us, let's hope in God regardless of our circumstances, right? And so this is the two big messages we have for the church today. Let's attempt something great for God. Now we're going to be interactive here. You're going to say that out loud as you kind of tap someone on the shoulder. Uh, one, two, three. Let's, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Let's do it again, all right? Um, let's attempt something great for God, all right? One more time, one, two, three. Let's attempt something great for God, all right? Um, you guys so good. And, um, uh, and then we're going to hope in God, right? We're going to hope in God and how important that is. Uh, this first part, right? Attempting something great for God. In this verse, in verse 11, it starts out by saying, do not be slothful in zeal in these these three commands, simple commands that are mentioned there. And the first part, do not be slothful in zeal. Sometimes, we don't use the word slothful that much, but we think of someone who is lazy, who doesn't wake up in the morning, who doesn't you know, do their work and is late to work or whatever. We think of someone like that or someone, oh, he's always late to church. He's, um, it's not just saying don't be lazy as a person. Um, don't be a morning. It's not that. But what it's saying here, and the word uh, sloth here, uh, we, we hear it 
when they talk about the seven deadly sins. In the fifth century, the church came up with the seven deadly sins that we ought to avoid at all costs. And one of them, uh, you know, wrath, greed, sloth, pride, lust, envy, gluttony. Sloth is there. And that same word, when it was used in the fifth century and on, has the idea that uh, it's not just laziness, but it means being careless or apathetic towards anything that requires passion. Uh, passion means to suffer. So it means to take something that is important, you ought to almost suffer for it. It's worth your time and your energy, your sweat and guts. It's worth all of that, but you don't. You say, I don't want to suffer for that. So it's taking something important and saying, I don't want to suffer for that. And you think about what uh, is important in life. What is really important? Uh, and the question is, do, are we willing to even suffer for that? Are we willing to go and sacrifice for that? That it would cause me some kind of discomfort because I am doing these things. And the pictures uh, that we looked at together just show people saying, well, yeah, I am going to disadvantage myself. I am going to go and uh, go somewhere that is not easy. To go fight traffic on a Tuesday, to go to a soup kitchen, to go and help serve coffee and do these things. To wake up early and to go do this. To sit in a community group with maybe some people I don't know and it's a little uncomfortable. Um, this is ways that we see this. So do not be slothful in zeal. The second thing we, told, we are told is to be fervent in spirit, right? We see that. Be fervent in spirit. Uh, literally meaning to be boiling in spirit. That your insides are boiling, your spirit is boiling. And so you see this kind of two sides of the same coin here. The one side says, be busy for God. Like suffer for God if you have to. Go and do something great for God. But the other side says, well, don't let, make it just an external thing. Make it about your insides and let your passion burn within you. Be fervent in spirit, it says. Morris, in his commentary, says this. It is important that the human spirit be on fire. But Paul is not referring to something that occurs by some natural process, but as a result of the indwelling spirit of God. So, on the two sides of coins here, uh, some of you are saying, you're type A and you're like, that's me. Like, I wake up and I seize the day. And I, is this what it's saying? To seize the day, be busy, to be productive. What's important is who we do it for. And he sums it up in that verse by saying at the end, serve the Lord. So some of you get up, you work hard because you want to be number one. You want to be number one in your class. You want to be number one in your team, in your sales team, or whatever it is. You want to go and get to the next level. You but you're not serving the Lord, you're serving yourself. What he makes clear is those things are all good. Working hard is good. But as the church, as a member of the church, you ought to do these things to serve the Lord. Let's clarify who we're serving. The Paul Tripp, uh, in his book, Quest for Something Greater, he argues, and I think he's so right on, and he sums it up so well. He argues that man, woman, we're hardwired for something greater than ourselves. And that's how we find meaning and purpose. And so, so a lot of people think if I get married, you know, or if I graduate and get to this job, or if I have kids, and it's something outside. Even to the point we like to identify ourselves with teams. You know, uh, if I ask, oh, how many of you are Angel fans? They'll be, oh, you know, or how many of you are Bruins? And, you know, Pastor Sam is re was really excited when we win. 
when the Bruins win, he comes in, you know, did you see what we did? We did. I was like, you know, no, actually, you weren't out on the field, were you? And you go, yeah, we won. You know, we won. We beat BYU. You know, um, we identify now. Do they care? Like some of you are diehard Laker fans or Clipper fans. Do they care that you're cheering? Yeah, not really. They don't really. You go, okay, go try to go hang out with them. They don't want you to hang out with them, right? Uh, you got to pay money to go be in there. But we want to identify ourselves with something bigger. And what uh, Tripp argues uh, is that Satan brings temporal things to try to fill that void. So you think about the rich and famous people on, that we read about and we watch on TV so much. How many houses and how many cars can they collect? You know, and how many trips can they go on? And, you know, uh, you know how many marriages could they have? And how many, because they're trying to fill that void with something that's temporal and it gets old pretty fast. Serve the Lord. Be passionate about serving the Lord. Um, I think it is so important in this way that we do this. Elizabeth Elliot said it so well. She said, there is nothing worth living for unless it is worth dying for. There is nothing worth living for unless it is worth dying for. And for some of us, the only thing worth dying for is me, my little life. And we don't fully live life unless we live for something greater. Serve the Lord. Live for the Lord. And so we go and we try to attempt great things for the Lord in this way. The second part of this is we hope in the Lord. So we, we try to live passionately. We try to do something for God. We, we get to church and we, we do things and we serve and we give and we, we go on trips or whatever it is. And on the flip side of that, we now hope in the Lord. It tells us to rejoice. When we think of a command, we don't think of rejoicing as a command. We think rejoicing as a, a byproduct of something good that happens in life. Oh, I saw a good show, I rejoiced. Eat something good, I rejoice. But here he says, no, I command you to rejoice. Not just because you are a happy person, because that is your personality. It's because you rejoice in hope. You have something in the future. G.K. Chesterton said this quote so well. Hope means hoping when things are hopeless, or it is no virtue at all. You can't say, I'm, I have hope when you're hopeless. Hopeful, when life is good, that's not hope. That's what he's saying. As long as matters are really hopeful, uh, hope is mere flattery or platitude, right? Um, and so he's arguing here. If you're going to use the word hope, and you're going to experience hope, it's when things are tough. It's when things seem hopeless in itself. Um, so hope gives us joy. It gives us a reason to rejoice. Now, um, imagine, right? Um, got uh, Trinity and Sophia and Chris, all you guys are here, right? Imagine someone comes to you, right, and says, hey, uh, Trinity, I, I'm going to pay you to, to mow my lawn. I'm going to pay you, every day you mow my lawn, I'm going to pay you, let's say, you know, not your dad, okay, let's say someone else said this, all right? So it comes out and says, Trinity, I'm going to pay you um, $100,000 a day, just cash, all once, you know, just, just bags and bags. You'd be like, oh my gosh, Really? Right? You'd be so excited. And imagine that person goes now, and then uh, there's another person. And we'll just think of a name. We'll call him Matthew, right? All right, so imagine there's a Matthew, who maybe your brother, right? So he has a job. He has to mow the, the grass next door. But he gets paid like 20 cents a day. 
like in pennies, you know, pennies. You're in dollars, 100,000 a day, he's in pennies. Now, you love cutting grass, right? I know she would, I would. For 100,000, you're like, all I have to do is cut this grass, and that guy's gonna give me $100,000. And then you now, let's say during lunch break, in the heat of the day, you go sit in the shade, and then there comes the other guy, Matthew shows up. And then he's there, and he's like, I hate my job. That guy's gonna pay me 20 cents a day to go and cut this grass. I don't want to do this. You're like, well, I love cutting grass. Why? Because at the end of the day, you get $100,000. He gets 20 cents. Rejoice in hope is saying, at the end of it all, regardless of how hard it is, regardless of how many tears you shed and how much you go through, when it's all said and done, there is a prize waiting. Jesus Christ is waiting. So we rejoice in hope, right? The second thing it tells us is to um, be patient in tribulation. Tribulation, hardships. When someone is against us, when life is hard, when that happens, when hardships happen, what does he tell us? To be patient in it. Now, this is not a a passive patience where I say, okay, I just got to wait till this is done, and I'm just going to sit here, close my eyes, imagine I'm somewhere else, and get over it quickly. No, it's an active word. It's a picture of someone saying, I actively will stand, I'm going to stand firm and do this. It's like a, a football player, an offensive lineman, right? An offensive lineman that sees the blitz coming. And they dig in their cleats to the ground, and they're ready for the hit because they have to wait, and they're going to take the hit. That person's not active, uh, passively waiting. No, they're ready for it, and they're ready to go head on because they're going to now be part of this. Now, he says to be patient in tribulation. Hang in there. There's a purpose behind it. Hang in there. Be strong in it. And the last part of this, again, Paul points us back to God because it's not saying you have a strong personality, you have a good family background, you could do this. It's not just that. It's because you're connected to God. And he brings us back to God. He says, be constant in prayer. So it is not simply the act of praying that is important here. It's not just that, oh, the discipline of you should pray, the method and the mode. No, what he's saying is be connected to God. And when you are connected to God, you can get through this. When you're not walking with God, everything is hard. When you are connected to God, everything has a purpose. And you find strength. How many of you have faced hardships and you know you're not walking with God and it is just so hard? And how many times have you faced hardships while you're walking with God and you're like, this is no problem, I can get through this. So we stay connected to him. As John Piper said this, and I thought it was so clever. He says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may be aware of three of them. If he is doing 10,000 things, working your life out, connecting you to the right people, and guiding you through circumstances, strengthening you through hardships, and there's 10,000 things that God is doing for your life, in our little finite minds, we might know three of them, he says. So we humbly go to God and we stay connected to him and say, God, I don't know what's going on. God, I need your strength today. You wake up every morning. God, you know, I'm headed to school today. Can you help me today? God, these kids are bugging me today. God, give me patience. You know, and that might be the mom's prayer, you know, whatever it is. And and, and you are just pressing on because God is connected to you. 
And so we as a church, now we look back with gratitude, but we look forward. And we want to do something big for God. I want to challenge you to do something great for God. It might be things like, I'm going to, I'm going to read the Bible. Um, I'm going to forgive that person. I am going to give what I have, whatever God has allotted me. I'm going to be more generous with that towards others. Um, I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to actually help these people. And maybe God has put that on you, and there's that challenge in your life. Christianity is far more than creeds and doctrines and belief systems. Those are useless unless it is acted out. James says that, and Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 13. And so will you do that? And secondly, when hardships come your way, will you hope in God or will you run to someone else? Will you run away as quick as possible and avoid everything? Or will you say, God, you're with me and I can get through this. God, I'm constant in prayer in you. I'm connected to you, God. I talk to you. You're doing something. There are 10,000 things happening in my life. I don't see it, but I trust you. And will you press on in this way? Another year is going to fly by. It's going to go by quickly. And I want to challenge all of us. As we look back in a year again, that you would have said, I've tried something, God. And God, I've, I've, I've held on. I've, con- I've been walking with you, God. And you will say, that is success at that time. So let's consider that. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, there is so much that you have blessed us with. And we as a church celebrate Eight wonderful years. Eight years of you guiding us through, connecting us to people. Sometimes, Lord God, we wept together, we, we rejoiced together. But ultimately, we were together with you. And so, God, we have a hope, so today we could rejoice. And we have a purpose. It is you. Bigger than my little life, it is you. So we have something someone to live for, to help us to be that kind of church member today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.